Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Verse 23, what had happened here? Let me set the stage. God had taken on a theological form and brought two angels with him that looked like men. And there was a conversation before God left Abraham that he wanted to have with him. You see, God always lets his people know what he's about to do. And he always has a plan for every situation. God knows about this election coming up. He is not going to be, he's the only one who knows for sure who the next president is going to be. And guess what? He's not afraid. He's not wringing his hands and saying, oh my, I sure hope this works out. And you shouldn't either. Fear not. God is with us. God is with us. Now your job and my job, my responsibility, is to go vote. That's what you can do. You don't have to take a poster and stand out on the roadway and picket and protest. Vote. It's the most powerful thing that you can do for this election. And people have given their lives for you to have that right to vote. So please vote. Now you're wondering what I'm gonna say next. I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for. Not because I'm afraid. I'm not afraid to tell you. I will only tell you this. Vote for the party that best represents Christian morals and values. If you don't believe in abortion, you don't believe in all the other things that we could talk about here this morning, then you know how to vote. I'm not real excited about either candidate, certainly. Enough said about that. Genesis 18:23. So the conversation takes place here. Abraham drew near and he said, "Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked?" Anybody here concerned about our nation and the direction that it's going, all right? Peradventure there would be 50 righteous within the city. Will you destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are there? He starts at 50 and says, if you can find 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you spare the cities for the sake of the righteous? And God says, if I can find 50. He said, well, that worked pretty good. How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10, if you get to the end of the chapter here? And the Lord said, if I find 10, I'll spare the city. You may be concerned about our nation, but the church is still here. We're more than 10 God is still gonna take care of his people. 
He will either give, now listen, I'm gonna preach this in the near future. He will either give us favor or flight. Favor or flight. But he will take care of his people. He will not suffer the righteous. He always has a plan of salvation. And here's the last point I wanna make before you're seated. The deal was 10. but he couldn't find 10, but he still brought mercy to four. See, God's mercy goes beyond even the numbers that we give God. His grace is enough. Can somebody say amen? His grace is enough. So tomorrow night, the night before the election, we're gonna have a prayer meeting here at seven o'clock, and if you're really concerned about our nation and the election, I hope you'll join me for prayer. Tomorrow night at seven o'clock, we do have a trustee meeting and we're gonna rush through that, conduct as minimal amount of business and be in prayer. And that's what you can do. You can be an Abraham and intercede for the righteous that are living among the wicked. Amen. God bless you, you may be seated. So today I'm gonna preach on this subject and I am already 20 minutes over, it is 10 to 12. Everybody look at the clock. (laughs) I wanna take you back to the Garden of Eden. And I think that you know the story so I, I won't belabor it. I will just get to the point where God is looking for the time that he had with Adam and with Eve. And he asks this question in three and nine. And the Lord called unto Adam and said, where are you? Where are you? Now, a lawyer and a wise person never ask a question that they don't know the answer to already. But the question was really asked so that Adam would realize where Adam was. And so that Adam would have an opportunity to repent. Where are you? So I want to ask, let's take a look at some of the garden variety questions that God asks Adam and he asks Eve. Where are you? That was his first question. His answer was, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. See, whenever we're afraid, we hide from God. Whenever we're ashamed, and that's what nakedness is, it is a shame, we hide from God. And he said, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit of the tree that I told you not to eat thereof? Those were the three questions that God asked Adam, all with the intent of leading Adam to repentance and restoration in his relationship with God. But Adam did not repent. He blamed his wife. He blamed somebody else for what he did. Uh, this is going to be a very simple message, but, it, but it's very important that you get it today. 
When it comes to the woman, he, so he chases the excuse. The Lord said to the woman in verse 13, what is it that you've done? Well, she learned from her husband. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So she passed the blame. But when he came to the serpent, he asked no questions. He gave no quarter. He just executed judgment. And today I want to speak to you for a few minutes on this subject. God has questions. Have you got answers? Jesus was a master at asking questions to provoke the motive and intents of our heart. He was a master at it. Did he not know the answers? Of course he knew the answers. But he wanted us to come to the proper conclusions and the proper place in God. In Matthew, let me give you a few questions that Jesus asked. Matthew 9 and 27. Two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Verse 28. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, here's the question. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said unto him, yea, Lord. And he touched them, and he healed them. But it all started with him asking a question. They came with a need. He came with a question. And when they answered the question correctly, he laid his hand on them and he healed them. Is there anything? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a rhetorical question to every, Jesus, every question Jesus asks today in this message. Here's my rhetorical question. Do you believe that God can do the miraculous in your life? Then he can. Then he can. Let me take you to another question that he asked. Let's go to the next question. Mark chapter six. There's a multitude and they're hungry. And in Mark 6 and 37, he said, give them to eat. Feed this, this multitude. That's what he says to the disciples. And they said unto him, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? How are we gonna do this? Some of the disciples, if you compare the account, said it would take years of wages to, pay the, to be able to feed this multitude. How can we do this? So what does Jesus do? He says, well, how many loaves have you got? Go and see. And they came back and said five loaves and two fishes. So Jesus' question is, what have you got that I can bless? What will you bring me from the multitude? You and I spend a lot of time telling God what we need. And you know what God is saying to us? What do you got? What will you bring to me? What will you place in my hands? 
that I can bless. Well, God, you, I mean, you spoke the worlds into existence. You didn't require anything then. Why don't you just answer my prayer request? Why don't you just answer my question in a favorable way instead of asking me questions? Because I want something from you. I know you can't provide for yourself everything that you need, but what are you willing to give me? Because if you give it to me and place it in my hands, I will pray over it, I will bless it, and I will distribute it. And all needs will be met. You could take a look. I'm sure that the disciples said, well, well, we asked around, Jesus, and here's what we got. Five loaves and two fish, but what's that among so many? That's enough. That would be his answer. That is enough. If that's all you've got... Now what about the people that didn't participate and held back and, and didn't give when maybe they had something to give? Don't worry about them. The only one that's remembered in this story is the boy's lunch. A boy. A boy gave his lunch out of 20,000 people. That's what's remembered. Don't worry about what other people don't do. Do what you're supposed to do. Answer his question when he asks you and place it in his hand so that he can bless it. Let me give you a rhetorical question. Take a look here at Malachi. Malachi chapter three. And verse 10. The instruction... Throughout the Old Testament, beginning with Abraham, was that the people were to give a tithe or a tenth of their increase to both the house of God and the ministers of God. So in Malachi 3 and 10, and this is the last book before the Dark Ages, by the way, signifying if you don't listen to what God tells you, if you don't answer his questions, He'll just stop talking. So he said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I won't open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So here's my rhetorical question. Have you ever prayed a prayer that said, God, I need help with my rent? I need help with the mortgage? I need a financial blessing. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Did you just hear the question he asked? Well, what about my house? Where's the meat? Where's the provision for my house? Where's the provision for my people? Thank you so much for your faithful generosity to giving to foreign missionaries. God's people. Home missionaries. 
All the different ministries that, that are represented, Sunday school and, and all the different ministries and the offerings that we take throughout the year, you're blessing God's people. And just as you can understand how important it is to make your mortgage and your rent and, and your utilities and expenses, well, God says, what about my house? It's gonna get real quiet in here now. We're talking about a heart for the house. We've, we've reached out and said, hey, will you make a commitment this year to, to helping us with the heart for the house and the, and the mortgage payment and all that? And, and you know what? God has a right to ask us the same question that we have been asking of him. What about my house? What about... Now, I have to do things. There are some things I want to do and there are some things I have to do. This is one of those have to do's, okay? But it is the responsibility of the church to take care of the ministry, just like it's the responsibility of the ministry to take care of the church. Thank you for your pastor appreciation gifts and kindness today. That, that is a fulfillment of that. But your tithes and your offering and your giving to the heart for the house takes care of God's house and God's people. And God has a right to ask us why we wouldn't do that. Okay. How about Luke 6 and 46? Here's a tough question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? You don't do the things I say. You ever meet anybody like this? I believe Jesus is Lord. I've accepted him as my personal savior. Is your mouth writing checks that your life is not able to cash? That's my rhetorical question. And Jesus was frustrated with people. That's why he asked this question. You call me Lord, Lord, then I ask you to do something, you won't do it. I'm not Lord. Hey, take a look here at 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you read 1 Samuel chapter 15, it will fulfill, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things I say? Let me, let me create the situation for you. The first king of Israel is King Saul. God uses Samuel, the prophet, to go to Saul and tell him to destroy the Amalekites. He says that they are to genocide the Amalekites. Men, women, children, animals, everything is to be destroyed. Samuel said, do you understand the instruction of the Lord? Yes, I understand. Then go do it. But along the way, some of the people decide, and Saul goes along with it, that they're gonna save the best of the animals and sacrifice them to the Lord, that they're gonna give executive privilege to the king. And so they bring these animals back and they bring the king back contrary to the instruction that they had received. And then in verse number 19, Samuel said, why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? You flew upon the spoil and you did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. You thought you had a better plan than God did, but you just flat out rebelled against what God told you to do. And if you read on, he will say, Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft because you didn't obey what God told you to do. Have I ever been that person? Can God speak to me and ask me to do things and be specific about how he wants them done? And I come up with, well, I can't give you that, but I'll give you this. Do I try and work a deal with God when God is explicit in his details? Do I listen to other people and let them influence me in the way that I am going to conduct my affairs and the messages that God has given me? Don't fall into the trap as Saul did. One of the reasons that God lets us see these things is so that we don't make the same mistakes. The wisest man is a man that can learn from somebody else's mistakes. Matthew chapter 22. Here's another question. I believe this represents the marriage supper of the Lamb. Matthew 22 and 12. Friend, how came you in hither not having a wedding garment. He was speechless. The king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Do you know what's happened here? You see, according to Jewish custom, when there's a wedding, the person that gives the wedding provides the garments to be worn at the wedding. As the bride of Christ, we have been provided with a wedding garment without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing. Fine linen, clean and white, which is the righteousness of the saints. Read about it in Revelation. We've been provided with that garment. When we came to God and accepted his proposal and gave our lives to him and were baptized in his name, we were given a wedding garment. We've been covered in the blood. We've been given that white garment and we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So when the wedding takes place, I believe this person's even raptured because they have the Spirit of God. They couldn't have got there without the Spirit of God. And now they're there, and they don't have a wedding garment. And the Lord walks up and says, where's your wedding garment? You know what the answer was? Speechless. And you know why the answer was speechless? because they knew that they should have been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of their sins, but they made excuses and they blamed other people. The 
Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. Can I get an amen to that? So receiving the Holy Ghost is a great experience, but don't neglect the part about having, making sure that your wedding garment is being worn, that you are prepared for the wedding. That's why he didn't argue. He was speechless. And then when it talks about the judgment that followed this person, it says, and there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. And gnashing of teeth indicates anger and weeping represents sorrow. You know who they're angry with? They're angry with themselves. They knew what they were supposed to do. That's why they were speechless. There's no offer here, well, somebody else told me I didn't have to be baptized in Jesus' name. That's not necessary. They didn't offer that excuse. There was no excuse. What hinders us from obeying God's word? What hinders us? Matthew chapter 21. Let's look at another question. Matthew 21, 23. He was come into the temple. The chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching, and they said, by what authority, now we got some questions for you, Jesus. By what authority do you do these things, and who gave you this authority? Those are our two questions. So Jesus said unto them, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. You answer my question, I'll answer yours. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say unto us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of men, we fear the people, for they hold John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. And he said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. You know that guy that's been preaching to you guys, you chief priests and rulers and people of great authority and pomp, the message of repentance that he preached to you and then was willing to take you down to the Jordan and baptize you was the message he was preaching his idea or did the message come from heaven? And they thought, we can't win with this question. Because if we say, Well, the message came from heaven. He's going to say to us, well, then why didn't you repent? Why haven't you been baptized? And we would have to be speechless. We could offer no excuse. And if we say, well, it's just a man-made doctrine, we fear the people that are following Jesus, and there seems to be a turning in that direction, and, and we don't want to upset them. What hinders us? 
What stops us? Let me ask you the question. Let me bring it to the 21st century. I'd like to ask the whole world this question. The baptism that Peter preached, the plan of salvation that he offered on the day of Pentecost, was that his idea or is that the plan of God for your life and mine? Now you answer that question for me and then you will be able to understand who Jesus is and by what authority he does what he does. So what hinders you? What hinders you? We're real quick to be able to find fault with people centuries ago, but what about us? What are the questions that God is asking us? And what are we prepared to do with truth? Some will crucify it. Others will embrace it, buy it, and they will never sell it. I want to be a part of that group. Well, I don't fully understand all the time. Well, God's got an answer for that. Hey, I'm gonna, this is the next message I'm going to preach. I am so excited about preaching here. You, I'm going to give you just a little, I'm going to give you a peek behind the veil. If the Lord allows me to do this next week, this is what I'm going to preach next week. I don't know how God does things. And the message is going to be, I don't know how, but I know who. I don't know how, but I know who. You have, it has never been required for you to understand. See, if you, if you make understanding a part of salvation, you, you eliminate some people. They may not have the ability to understand. They have the ability to believe. They have the ability to obey. But we don't all have the ability to understand. So he doesn't make it a requirement. So he says in James 1 and 5, if any lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. If you don't get it and you need to get it, then ask God to help you to understand it. He'll give you wisdom. That's why we need to answer these questions in the affirmative. Let me wrap this up. I think I've made my point, so I really want to quit. Whenever I feel I've really got my point across, I just feel like, quit talking, you've said enough. One day, Philip is is told to join the chariot that's going down the road. He finds out that it is an Ethiopian eunuch, a man of great wealth, and great authority. And so he joins this chariot and he says, Sir, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, Well, how could I understand except somebody show me? I don't understand what I'm reading. And he's reading in Isaiah and he said, Is this man speaking of himself or someone else? And Philip opens up the scripture to him and begins to explain to him who Jesus is and how he fulfills the Old Testament. Aren't you glad you know that today? 
And the eunuch says, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Because Philip preached that. And, he, and Philip said, well, if you believe and you're willing to obey, I don't know anything that could hinder you. What is hindering you today? Here's my rhetorical question. What is hindering you today from doing what God has asked you to do? That's the sound I thought I'd hear. What hinders us from doing Acts 22 and 16, Ananias asked Paul this question, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So here's the two questions. What is hindering you and what are you waiting for? Why are you hindered and why are you tarrying? Well, I don't fully understand. Let me, here's how I can wrap this up. I remember being a young man, I was, I was 22 years old. And I, I was seeking the Holy Ghost. I, I had repented, I had been baptized, and I was seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I would go to the altar three times a week. Every time there was church and the preacher said, okay, it's time to come to the altar and talk to God. I would go to the altar and I would, I would seek God, I would beg God, I would plead with God to fill me with the Holy Ghost. And I just had a terrible time receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then, one Sunday, June the 5th, I talked to a friend and he said, Rick, he said, tonight on Sunday night service, I want you to come to church and determine that you ain't leaving till you get the Holy Ghost. And if that means you have to call in and miss work tomorrow, would you be willing to do that? And it made perfect sense to me. I ain't getting anywhere the way I'm going, right? So I told my wife, I said, you know what? I am staying till I receive the Holy Ghost on Sunday night, and if I have to stay there and miss work tomorrow, I'm missing work because it means that much to me. When you get desperate, somebody say amen. When you get desperate and you get determined and you won't be shaken and you become Jacob, I'm going to stay here all night long if I have to. I'm not leaving here till I get what I came for. When you get that way with God, God gets real serious with you too. I made that decision. But there's always this one little thing that tries to take away from what God is about to do. And when I got to the altar and I had made those decisions, I said, you know what, Gene, I just, I just got a couple more questions I want to ask you. Let, let's leave the altar. Let's go to a corner of the church. Give me another Bible study. Uh, answer a few more questions. Maybe I don't fully understand, and that's why I'm having trouble receiving the Holy Ghost. And you know what he said to me? The time for questions is over. You know what you need to do and you just need to get rid of your pride 
and do what God asks you to do and don't worry about anybody or anything else. So we didn't leave the altar. And then I lifted up my hands and in the church that I was in at that time, if you came to the altar and lifted your hands, that meant you're really serious. And people gather around you. Oh, they all mean well, they all wanna help you and they all begin to encourage you and, and pretty soon, boy, it gets loud. And I turned to Gene again. This was the final question. He said, is there a problem? I said, yeah. I said, I can't hear myself pray. He said, I got an answer for that. Pray louder than they do. I I don't know how to pray. Just tell God what you want and what you need. That'll take care of it. When you get to that point where you won't be denied, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. When you get to that aggressiveness where you won't leave till you got what you came for, you'll leave differently than you came and God will change your life and you will no longer be called Jacob but you will be called Israel because you will have power with God and power with men. So how are you going to answer God's questions that he's asked you today? Let's stand together. God's got questions. You've got answers. And you know what? The preacher is going to invite you to the altar today. And you get to answer the call. That's why we call it an altar call. Jesus, I'm calling out this morning and I'm reaching out with the message that you gave. Help us to respond to the questions that you've asked. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.